So glad that you're here tonight. And uh, I think we are coming, like starting to land the plane on our series that there was great joy in that city. And it would be amiss of me to try to re-preach anything that's already been preached from this platform on the Sundays and a Wednesday. And I've just loved every single message that has come out of this. Um, and so just to kind of recap, we're, we've been preaching this series, There Was Great Joy in That City, from a passage of Scripture in, Ma- in Acts 8. And many of us have, have said this, but it was a time of great persecution for the church. And Saul, a man who was creating great havoc for believers, for Christians, he was persecuting Christians so severely that he was condoning people to be stoned to death. Uh, he was having people, ent- he was, he, they were entering people's homes, believers' homes like you and I, dragging out men and women, wives and husbands, dragging them out and imprisoning them. And I think we can read through these passages of Scripture and just be like, okay, like good information, interesting. But no, think about this for a minute. You and me, you're my mom and dad. You as mom and dad. Someone burst into your house for believing in Jesus Christ and drags you out of your home in front of your children and throws you into a prison because you believe in God. What a crazy time it must have been in that season. The, the, the suffering, the emotion, the tears, the financial hardships when daddy goes away and can't provide anymore. This is incredible time of persecution for the church, for believers. And the Bible says that the believers were scattered everywhere during this time, but they weren't scattered, hiding and scared. They were scattered and it says they were preaching the gospel everywhere, everywhere preaching the word So in a time of immense persecution and hardship, all the believers were in unity. They were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says people were getting saved. They were getting set free from demonic oppression. They were performing healings and miracles all throughout the city. And when I read that, I was like, that sounds like a wake in church during COVID. Yeah, it is. And then in Acts 8, 8, it concludes with, and there was great joy in that city. So this passage of scripture provokes so many different feelings and thoughts and so many different directions I could have gone in to preach a message. But the one thing that captivated my attention the most was this, that in the midst of pressure, pain and persecution came great joy. In the midst of pain, persecution and struggle came great joy. And I don't think for most normal humans, you don't put those things together. You're like, oh, pain, suffering, persecution, great joy. Like you don't add those statements together. But this was actually happening here with these believers in this scripture. So I'm going to read to you a passage of scripture in James 1, 2 through 4. And most of us don't like these verses. Let's read them together. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's not our favorite. But I want to clarify. I want to clarify. It doesn't say feel joyful, okay? It says count it all joy. There's a difference. It doesn't say feel joyful about the pain and the difficulty and the persecution. There's a Bible commentary, and I actually want to read it to you. It says, this, referring to count it all joy, it says, it is not an emotional reaction, but a deliberate appraisal 
or assessment of the situation from God's perspective. As trials can produce moral and spiritual growth, we do not rejoice in the trials themselves, but in their possible results. So the title of my message tonight is Rejoice in the Result. Rejoice in the Result. And I think a lot of times it's hard to be able to rejoice in the possible result because we're in the midst of pain and, and, and there's hardship and difficulty and persecution and trials and tribulations. It can become so difficult, it's hard to see really clearly through the tears that we are crying. And in the times that we are experiencing that level of pain, we can curse God and we can become angry at God for not being the great preventionist of our persecution and our trials and our tribulations. But I need you to understand tonight that God never promises to be the great preventionist. He never, ever promised that to us. God may not alter or stop or deliver you from the immediate situation that you are in. And we don't like that because we just want God to fix everything. We want Him to rescue us from every situation. We want Him to stop every bad thing that's happening to us. And and we like to focus on the promises of God that have like a happier ending. But in this situation, he actually promises us that we're going to have trials and tribulations. In John 16, 33, it says, in this world, you will have troubles. Those words are written in red. Jesus said them himself. In this world, you will have trouble. But he ends that scripture. It says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world's. He has overcome the world. So we are not promised a pain-free life. But what we are promised, we can find in Romans 8, 28, where it says that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to His purposes. And it does not say that everything that happens to us is good. It says all things, including bad things, God can bring good things out of it. Rejoice in the result. So when we assess our situations from God's perspective, we can have hope no matter what we are facing and what we are walking through. And when I say the word hope, I also want to clarify, I'm not talking about the hope that's in our English dictionaries, the hope that the world offers, which is a feeling of wanting something to happen and thinking that it could happen, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, a person or thing that may help or save someone. The word hope in the English is described as a feeling and often conveys doubt. It's like you says, oh, I hope everything works out. In addition, the word hope in English is usually followed by the word so. Well, I hope so. It is filled with uncertainty and doubt. You can't put your trust in those things. But the biblical hope, the biblical meaning of the word hope, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it's batah, which it's the meaning of confidence, security, trusting, the object of confidence. And the New Testament, the word hope in the Greek is elpis or elpizo, to wait with joy and full confidence. There is no doubt or uncertainty attached to the biblical hope that we have through Jesus Christ. So no matter what we are facing, what we are going through, if we put a God perspective on the trial, we can have and understand that there can be positive results and we can rejoice in the result because God's gonna work all things together for good. And the hope that we have is unwavering and unshakable in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Yes. Psalm 9, 9 through 10 says, 
The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in the times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. So I want to quickly reference this uh, story in the passage of Mark 4, where the disciples get, it's Jesus's idea, by the way, to get into the boat with his disciples and go to the other side, okay? So the disciples are in the boat with Jesus, and it says that while they were crossing over to the other side, a great storm arose, that waves were crashing into the boat, filling the boat. They thought they were going to sink, and, and Jesus was in the boat. So the disciples are freaking out, worst case scenario, thinking they're going to die, and Jesus has the audacity to take a nap. So Jesus is sleeping in the midst of their trial, of their storm. They think they are about to drown and die, and Jesus is sleeping. <laughs> so what do they do? Clearly, we need to wake Jesus up. And so they wake him up, and they don't call him Jesus. They don't call him the God of miracles. They don't call him the great I am. They don't call him the Savior of the world. They say, teacher, <laughs> teacher. Don't you care that we are perishing? What I find so interesting is because the disciples had seen the miracles. He saw the miracles performed from Jesus' hands. They know that he was a miracle-working God. But when they, they saw the miracles for someone else, they called him Jesus. When they had a problem or a trial or tribulation that came upon themselves, they called him teacher. I think it's so easy to believe for other people, for their miracles, but when it comes to our trials and tribulations, we don't think that God's going to come through for us. But you believe that God's going to come through for your friend. Do we know who's in our boat? Is he God? Is he healer? Is he provider? Is he protector? Is he, is he the overcomer? Is he the savior? Or is he just a teacher? Because it really matters. Who you view is in your boat when you're going through a trial and tribulation. Because when you're in the storm, you better know who Jesus is. Who's in your boat? Because when we really know him, we can really trust him. Because we know that he's going to work all things together for good. And we know that Jeremiah 29, 11 says that, oh, what does that say? It says, that God has a plan for your life, not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope. That's for every single one of us, not just the really good angel Christians. God has a future and a hope for every single one of us. So it doesn't matter where we are at in our journey. There is still, there is still a future and a hope. That promise is not conditional or on some short time frame. No matter where you're at and what you're going through, there is hope for your future. Amen. Amen. I didn't plan to say all those things. I'm very riled up. I thought I was going to be ministering tonight. Anyways, anyways. So I want to revisit a message that I preached on December 26th uh, called Signature. And I really want to encourage everyone to go listen to it. Not because I'm so great, but I think it actually will really help you. And it really helped me, the revelation. And I think it's all a message we need to hear, even if it's not for ourselves, but for other people in our world that are struggling. So I just want to reiterate before we, I really give some great examples about God's perspective, about trials and tribulations, that the terrible things that happen to us in this life are not God's will. 
when bad things happen to us, it is not God's will. It's usually people's free will that made a bad choice, like Pastor Jeff was saying, or it's the handiwork of our enemy. There's bad teaching out there that tells us that everything that happens in the earth was God's will. It's the biggest, ugliest lie that has perverted and tainted the very nature and character of our loving God. That false teaching has destroyed people's lives, their view of God, and what they can believe Him for and what they can't. God cannot and does not arrange bad things to happen in our lives. It's against His very nature, and He cannot, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, He can't change, guys. It's against His nature. He can't all of a sudden decide that He wants bad things to happen to you because you've been a brat. He doesn't do that. It's against his very nature. The Bible says that only good and perfect gifts come from above, which is James 1.17. So if it's not good, it has not come from above. Yet I wonder how many times we've believed that the author of our trauma, of our pain, of our sickness, of our heartache, of our disappointment was the signature of God because of this poor teaching. The verdict came in, and we accused God as the guilty one, yet it had the devil's fingerprints all over it. And we'll be able to identify whose fingerprints are are all over something that we're walking through when we look at the scripture in John 10, 10. The thief, our enemy, the devil, does not come except his mission is to steal from us, to kill us, and to destroy us. But Jesus' mission is to come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. So when we're assessing the situations that we're walking through, are we accurately putting the right signature on that? Have we put God's signature to the things that the devil's fingerprints are all over? Or we assign good things to God and the bad things to the devil? We need to be able to assess this properly. Because if you can't, if you still think God decides to do bad things to you because you did something bad, or he's gonna curse you with this or give you this sickness, why would you ever trust him or ever pray? Because in depending on God's mood that day, you're either gonna be blessed or cursed. Why would you ever trust a God that would do the things that could steal, kill, and destroy your life. That's fully the author and signature of the enemy. And we really need to get this straight because if we're going to be able to see through the most difficult times in our life, through the trials, the pain, the persecution, and the tribulations, we have to understand if we're going to have a revelation of God's view of that or what he can do through it, we have to understand first that he was not the author of those things. Does that make sense? Before I move on, I also want to say this because I hear this and I do not like it when people say, God's trying to teach you something. (laughs) Like, can you just picture like this evil teacher with like a ruler, like trying to teach you a lesson, boy. Like, that's what I picture. God isn't trying to teach you something through these trials and tribulations. However, We should welcome the lessons that we can learn through the trials and the tribulations. Amen? Amen. 
some of my greatest growth moments, maturing moments, um, that have created the woman that I am, a woman of great faith, of resilience, of conviction, of strength, have come out of my greatest pains and my greatest struggles. I allowed those moments to make me better and not bitter. Beautiful. And that's really important. Yeah. We go through difficult seasons of hardship. We've got to really guard and protect our hearts because everything that we do flows out of our heart. So if we allow those difficult situations to make our hearts dark and bitter, we won't be able to experience God working all things together for good because we've refused to grow and to learn and have good results. We've chosen a bad result for ourselves, which is bitterness. And good things can never come out of a bitter well. So with the time I have left, I just want to share a few examples from the Bible, as well as maybe an example or two from my own life that might help us understand maybe God's perspective through how he can maybe view or work all things together for good through trials and tribulations and persecution. Um, so I wanted to start by the story um, with Joseph, and I believe it's in Genesis 30. It starts in either Genesis 37 or Genesis 39, the story of Joseph, and you can watch that or you can read that later. But so the story of Joseph was he was 17 years old. He had all older brothers. Joseph was God, or his father's favorite. So his father made him this, you know, coat of many colors. And so it was very clear that Joseph was the favorite. So his brothers hated him. So then they already hated him. Then he decided, then, then Joseph has a dream that how one day his mom and dad and his brothers are all going to be bowing down to him. And he, in his lack of maturity um, or immaturity, shared that dream with his brothers and his father so they became even more angry and his brothers decided they were going to kill him they were going to kill him but then when it came down to killing him they couldn't quite do it so they just sold him so they sold him into slavery can you imagine the betrayal the persecution like i know you hated me but really you're gonna sell me and so so they they sell him and they, he becomes a slave in egypt for decades, Joseph is serving. He's under trials and tribulation. He was his father's favorite, and now he's in a foreign land serving a foreign ruler. No one he knows, no one in his family don't speak the same language. It's just, it's just insane what Joseph has to go through. And he's serving with everything in him. And then he gets falsely accused of rape, thrown in a prison. And then he has the opportunity to get out of prison, but man forgot him. But then God, it says God didn't forget him. And, and this is what happened. It took 22 years for Joseph, when he had the dream, for it actually to come to pass. And he was in the midst of trials and tribulations throughout those ent that entire time period. I'm sure it wasn't pleasant. I'm sure there was opportunity for him to be angry at God and angry at his brothers. But if God would have allowed that trial and that tribulation, the persecution to stop any sooner, an entire nation and Joseph's family would have died in a famine. God orchestrated over 22 years and, and be able to be put together where Joseph become the most trusted highest servant right under the Pharaoh. And so Joseph had a plan that saved literally an entire nation that was going through a severe seven-year famine. He saved the entire nation from dying, including his own family. And what's crazy about this, 22 years of difficulty, 22 years, Joseph could have got real bitter. He could have got real frustrated, knew what he was going to do when he saw that family one day when they had to come bow down to him. But you know what he said when he finally met his brothers? Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Incredible. 
We don't always know how God is going to work out the situation where, when we are in trials and tribulations, but Joseph never stopped trusting in God. And now he was able to rejoice in the result of the trial and tribulation over 22 years. How incredible, how incredible is God? Let's talk about the Israelites. The Israelites were in Egypt as slaves for over 400 years under brutal and strict and horrifying uh, leadership. They were beaten and whipped under circumstances that were inhumane and they cried out to God to save them. And the Bible says that God raised up a deliverer. He raised up Moses to deliver the Israelites from the Egypt's hand. So, so this is what's happened. So God raises up Moses. So God's intent was to deliver his people. So he, he raises up Moses and then he, says, he sends Moses to Pharaoh. So, so we, if we know the story, if you've read the story, we know that God does 10 plagues on Egypt to get Pharaoh to change his mind to let the Israelites go. So he does the first plague, then the second plague. You know what's really funny about this story? So God's intent was to deliver them. Okay, all right, you raised up Moses. Now you did all the 10 plagues, powerful, amazing, great. But then, so God sends the plagues to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. So the plague comes and then he's like, he's about to change his mind and to let the people go. And then the Bible says, then the Lord hardened his heart. Like, whoa, God, what's, what's going on here? Because you raised Moses up, you sent all these plagues, and it said over and over again, a plague would come, Pharaoh was about to let the people go, and then the Lord hardened his heart and then wouldn't let him go. We're like, God, are you having a rough day? Like, what's happening? Are you, you seem to be contradicting yourself. Like, what are you doing? doesn't make any sense. And so I can only imagine what the Israelites are thinking, like, you're doing all these things, and then you shut it down over and over. And then... Finally, after the 10th plague, it says that Pharaoh, that Pharaoh finally said, go, just go. You're thinking, whoo, so they're free. They're free for a hot second. Because then the Bible says, Exodus 14, eight, after Pharaoh finally let them go, they're super pumped. It says, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel with his vast army and his horses. Not only that, the Lord then leads the entire Israelite people by the way of the Red Sea. Okay, Lord, so what are you doing here? Because you did the 10 plagues, you stopped Pharaoh from releasing us 10 times, then you finally let him go, and then you fired in his heart again, and then now you lead us by the Red Sea, so now we have this huge army, the entire Egyptian army coming against us, and we're stopped in front of the Red Sea, now we're trapped. Like, what are you doing, Lord? What are you doing? But then if you know the story, the Bible says that God parted the sea. A great wind blew and the Israelite people were able to cross over the Red Sea on dry land. And when they got to the other side, it said the Lord then closed up the waves over the entire Egyptian army that was pursuing him. So all this time we're going, God, what are you doing? It doesn't even feel like you're on our side. You led us in front of the sea. You kept hardening Pharaoh's heart. But could it be that God had a plan in the trials and the tribulations, the persecution, that God had a plan all along to entrap the entire Egyptian army in the Red Sea with one foul swoop? He took them out. We could be going through all these trials and tribulations and we are questioning what God is doing. Nothing makes sense. And in one moment, it was the greatest victory for the Israelites and there was great rejoicing in the camp. God is in the trial. 
God is with you. He will work all things together for good. I want you to put hope on the inside of you tonight that no matter what you're facing, how difficult, how impossible, how challenging, how painful, God has a way. God is with you. I remember, for time's sake, I think I'm going to skip a few stories, but I, I will share them at another time. But many of you had heard our um, our home story like many years ago, but it's just such a great example of what God's doing in the midst of a trial. Before John and I were campus pastors, he, I was a probation officer and he was in real estate. We'd purchased 13 properties, including our own home. And... We all know how, so we, we purchased a lot of homes that were actually be still being built. And they were supposed to be built in a timely manner, but the contractors uh, didn't keep their end of the bargain. And so all these building, all these homes were delayed, so we couldn't get any income off of them. And while all these homes were left unbuilt, the market crashed. So we were left with 13 mortgages, 13 construction loans that we had to start paying on, but no house to rent. And so we quickly lost everything. We lost all 13 properties and it began a three-year battle for John and I to keep our own personal home. And, and for three years, we tried the modification. We were doing everything. We were praying, we were battling. It was such a difficult season. And, and, then, and also we really didn't have income because his whole, the whole real estate market crashed and I was home with two babies at that point. And, and for three years, we battled, for three years. And we never felt to let the house go until one day we both prayed early in the morning. And we, I got a vision of a, another house that we were in, and I, I mustered that up to be that God's just telling me we'll be happy somewhere else. And John and I both felt in that moment, after three years of saying we are never letting the house go, we both felt to let the house go. Within one hour, we hadn't really shared, we hadn't shared that with anyone, and within one hour, John gets a phone call from a family member saying they ran into their neighbor who had this epic house and it was their dream home. They just put everything into it, how they wanted it. But now they decided they want a bigger dream home. And should John and I ever decide to let go of our house, they would like to rent us their house for a price we can afford even though we have about $200 in our bank account. For three years, we were like, I'm, I, I'm telling you, we, we did question God, like, God, what are you doing? We didn't blame him because we did it to ourselves. Let's remember who did this to who here. God didn't make us buy 13 properties. We chose to do it irresponsibly. So I, we were never blaming God. But we know his new mercies are new every morning that no matter what, there is a future and a hope for us. And he is gracious and he is good and he loves his children. So while we felt like God was silent for three years and nothing was really moving or shaking or shifting, it took a moment for God's like, just wait. If you only knew what I was doing up here, <laughs> you'd have so much more peace. We didn't even ask for it. And after three years, within an hour, we have the most beautiful home that we were able to rent for eight years. They even reduced our rent over the years when we went through another difficult season. It was so God. We couldn't really see Him during the three years, but He was working. And the lessons that I learned from that experience 
to rejoice in the possible results, can I tell you now, I have an unshakable faith in understanding that God is my provider and that He is gonna come through. I am a better pastor and leader now because I can sit across the table from anyone that is going through financial struggle and continue to encourage them to give to the house of God, to never give up on tithing because God will do what He says He was gonna do in your life. I learned the value of a dollar again. When you go from plenty to nothing, you learn the value of a dollar and you never take it for granted again. I'm grateful that I learned that through that trial. What we learned, John and I, is that we can never turn on one another no matter how bad it gets, that we are not each other's enemy, that we are on the same team and there's no point in pointing fingers because we needed to stand together and we learned in that season that even if we had nothing, the most important thing was that we were staying together, we were on the same team, that we loved one another and we took care of one another. I will never trade those difficult years because of the fruit and the result that I'm able to rejoice in, what it has done in me and changed in me. I will never, you know, it's like you never want to invite tragedy or terrible things, but again, I welcome the lessons that I learn after I get out of those seasons. And even what the most recent story, it's just, you know, many of you know my, my, um, Brother tragically died last July in Cabo when we were on vacation and we were there with him for his last seven days while he was battling for his life. And would you ever wish that? No. Would you ever rejoice in it? No. But even though it's been under a year, there's been so many things that I have been able to rejoice in the result of losing my brother. So many people came to know Jesus as their savior. So many people were saved. Family relationships were reconciled. And the one for me, and it may seem silly or small, but I had the deepest appreciation for heaven. I've never fully had the level of appreciation I should have had for the most amazing miracle of eternity. And God just showed me like, you know, Peggy, you can get always so focused on the miracle on this side of eternity. And we need to be focused on the miracles on this side of eternity. But do not also forget that the greatest miracle of all is that we could spend an eternity with Jesus in heaven where we are healed, we are whole, we are happy, we are amongst angels and heroes in peace and joy, surrounded by God's glory. What an amazing revelation it was for me to just have such a, an appreciation for what heaven means to all of us. You never wish for terrible or tragic things, yet we can rejoice in the result. So I really want us to, I just, all I wanted to do tonight is just encourage you wherever you are at, to not lose sight that God is with you. That it's not our job to try to figure out what's God doing, when is He going to do it. All we need to focus on is that He will do it. And we have to trust Him. He knows all things. And when we pray, 
We may not see things happen immediately in the natural, but when we pray, the Bible says that our prayers will not return void. And so as we pray, the supernatural is activated and things start happening in the heavenly realms that we don't yet see with our natural eyes. And so my prayer for all of us is that we would have that peace that surpasses all understanding while we wait for the supernatural solution to manifest into the natural. Whatever you are facing, whatever you are going through, God is with you. He loves you. He's going to see you through. You're going to get to the other side. He's going to repay everything that the enemy stole from you. He's going to bring back joy to your heart. I, I literally just see joy being restored just knowing that God can do the impossible in any situation. So I want to actually pray for two groups of people. One, if you are actually walking through a really difficult trial, or tribulation or being persecuted, if you would just stand to your feet, I just want to pray specifically over those that are standing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And if you're around them, if you want to put your hand on them, just stretch your hands out towards them, whatever you feel to do. But join me in prayer as we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So God, I just thank you right now for those who are standing. God, I can have a smile on my face even knowing that they're going through a trial and a tribulation, God, because I know that you are faithful. I know that you are good. I know that you have a plan and I know you're gonna make a way. God, you will not them, let them fail or stumble or fall. So God, I thank you right now that you are filling their hearts with peace. God, as they turn from their stress and their trial into trusting in you, God, the God of the impossible, the God of miracles, the God that will never leave them or forsake them. So God, fill them with hope right now as they look to you, God, knowing that you will make a way. God, I just help them turn their eyes completely to you, that they remember that you are in their boat in the storm. You are the God of the impossible and you are with them. Lord, you love them. So God, I thank you right now that you are filling hearts with hope, Father God, and that every single person walking through a trial will be able to rejoice in the result. God, what, what can we learn from these lessons? We know you're not teaching us a lesson, but God, show us more of who you are. Reveal to us your nature. Reveal to us your character, Father God. And reveal to them the strength that they have in you. God, strengthen them for the days ahead. Encourage them for the days ahead. ahead. Father, and I thank you right now that you will give them the peace that surpasses all understanding. Father God, as they wait for the supernatural solution to manifest into the natural. So God, I thank you for all these things. God, I thank you that we can trust our friends so dearly and deeply into your hands because you are good and you are faithful. So God, we thank you for who you are tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Let's thank God. Let's give God a huge shout and praise for what he's done and what he's doing. God's going to do it. He's with you. We're going to get through. And I want to give people an opportunity, like I said at the beginning of the service, to respond to Jesus. You know, Jesus, it was the ultimate example of rejoicing in the result. 
Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, 2, that for the joy set before Him, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus was able to endure and surrender himself to the most excruciating of circumstances to die on a cross. Did he want to do it? No. Was he afraid? Yes. The most terrible of circumstances. He actually willingly said, I will go through that trial. I will go through that persecution. I will go through that pain so that the children that I love don't ever have to. And for the joy set before Him, which was your face and my face, He chose the cross for you and I. He was rejoicing in the result before it even happened. And that's what allowed Him to go to the cross. So I just want to have everyone... uh, close their eyes and bow their heads really quickly. If you're in here tonight and you you just know you need to surrender your life to Jesus, enough of the striving, trying to make it all happen on your own, and it's time to surrender your life to Him. In exchange for the life that you have, He will give you a brand new life. He says you'll be a new creation in Him. He's going to make all things new. And I don't know about you, but I would want the God that can work all things together for good in my life, working in my life. And so now we have the opportunity to invite that God into our lives. So if you're in here and you have never made that decision, but you know you need to, will you just lift your hand up nice and high while no one else is looking around? Amen, amen. I see your hand beautiful in the pink sweater. I see your hand up in the back. Yes, with the glasses. I see your hand all the way in the back, sir. Yes and amen. And right here next to the rail and the door, I see you in the black t-shirt. And you with the green sweater right here on the aisle. Who else am I waiting on? Who else am I waiting on? Thank you, Lord. I see you. God is so proud of you. He's so proud of you. Anyone else? God's really moving on hearts. It's really beautiful. Is there anyone else? It's not I'm waiting on, that Jesus is waiting on. Yes, sir, in the blue shirt, I see your hand. Thank you, Lord. Yes, and I see you right here in the black t-shirt with the white print. So many hands, so many hands. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Yes, I see you, sir, in the white. Amen. Let's all pray this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to the cross in my place to die for me, to take the penalty of my sin upon himself. God, I thank you that he saw my face and said I was worth it. God, thank you for saving me, for forgiving me, for all my wrongdoing. Create in me a clean heart. Give me a fresh start. Thank you. And I declare that I am saved in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.